Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Waiteka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Well, hello, everybody, and thank you for joining me today on this second Monday of January. I'm so excited to have my guest today, Dr. Charles Monterio Archer. He is the president and CEO of One Hope United and the author of Everybody Paddles. Welcome to the show, Charles. Uh, thank you so much, Marsha. It's great to be here with you and the Born to Talk audience. I'm really glad to be here. Oh, I, I'm I am so I'm I'm truly looking forward to this because I have followed you. I know a little bit about you. I'm inspired by who you are as an individual and what makes you tick. For lack of a better word, because, boy, you know, it's like that, that clock that just keeps on ticking. That's who you are, my friend. And you are. Well, thank you. And you're diverse in all of your experiences. But yet, as diverse as you are, you, you weave it all together in such a perfect story. And what's your story is really the basis of what I do. I want to know what everybody's story is. You could be walking down the street and I might ask you that. But today, (laughs) this is about you. So I thought we could start off for those people that are not familiar with you, if you could just tell us a little bit about your background so we get a glimpse into who you are. Um, Well, well, again, thank you. I'm really glad to be here. Uh, I'm Dr. Charles A. Montorio Archer. Um, as you mentioned, the president and CEO of One Hope United, but um, I came to One Hope United through Brooklyn, New York, where I was born and raised uh, and spent a, a great deal of you know, my life uh, in New York City. Um, I went to uh, Lincoln University in Pennsylvania to get my bachelor's. I went to Brooklyn Law School to get my JD, uh, Baruch College, uh, the City University of New York to get my master's in public administration, and uh, at Walden University to get my PhD in public policy. And it's in- interesting that how you said that it's been weaved together and it works well together. In-, in this kind of regard for me is I come from a service family, a family that whatever we were doing was in service of either each other or other people, our community, our church. And I think that that's kind of where all of what I'm doing now around child welfare and other uh, systems of care comes from my family experience of wanting to assist people in their own life journeys so that way we all can be happy and successful and full of joy and life. That makes total sense. And, you know, I know that, unfortunately, this is an audio show, so we're not physically looking at one another, although I must tell you I am looking at your um, website and so as far as i'm concerned honey you are smiling at me with those beautiful teeth and that beautiful smile and it comes through charles it comes through because you are authentic you mentioned how this this um act of service is what what you were raised with and what you knew about at a at a young age and it set that standard and it set that foundation and then you got all of this incredible education and you've had quite a remarkable career and i and i hope that we're able to weave how all of those join together but i thought we could start with what what kind of prompted you to go from being a lawyer and being a lobbyist into the social service sector you know it's a really interesting question because people will assume that that was the case but i started to work at a not-for-profit while i was in college and develop a deeper appreciation for those in service of others and how it can positively impact people's lives. So it, it wasn't that I was a lawyer, then a lobbyist, and became a social service sector leader. It was the reverse. I began working as a direct care professional for two young um, boys um, who had intellectual and developmental disabilities, 
And from that, I began to develop my own sense of what I wanted my service to look like. I've always wanted to be an attorney, so that was a natural progression for me. That was going to be a life goal regardless. But after working in the Kings County District Attorney's Office, which I have to tell you is also another service role to the community, I then became a lobbyist for nonprofit servicing um, individuals with intellectual and development disabilities throughout New York State. Interesting. So, you know, I didn't know that about you. So when you were a lobbyist, you were already into that nonprofit world. And, and I, and I yes. did not know that about you. That's terrific. I, I didn't, and this started, like you said, when you were still in college. So it seems like a pretty um, easy, I wouldn't, easy might, might be the word, but um, logical transition to do that, to get over to the, to the, um, the not-for-profit world. And I know we interchange those words. Some people say not-for-profit. Some people say non-profit, regardless if it's not or non. The reality is there's no profit. And um, so when did you um, come to um, uh, One Hope United? How did you, what, what got you there? Um, so, you know, when, when I was in college, you know, I, I had to support myself, you know, with, you know, resources in order to go to school, et cetera. So as I mentioned, I was working at a not-for-profit. But, but what I realized, you know, uh, as an African-American male in this sector, you know, there wasn't a great deal of, you know, black and brown leadership in New York City at that time. It's definitely changed, and it's a, a great place for anybody who would like to be in leadership. But, but as I began to look at that, you know, I started a not-for-profit, you know, now known as the Thrive Network, where we literally wanted to serve black and brown communities with this type of leadership that understood them, that came from the same experiences that they were at. So I, I wind up doing that for many years, left, and I, as I said, I went to uh, become a prosecutor and, you know, uh, a, a lobbyist. But then I came back to the nonprofit space because I always felt this desire to be of contribution to other people's lives. So, you know, running the, the Thrive Network for about 11 years as their CEO, um, I wind up merging that, you know, organization with another amazing not-for-profit that, you know, had a greater uh, continuum of care, but also it's something I think we're probably going to talk about a little bit about how do you forecast. When you're in leadership, it's about what is going to happen two to three years down the road. And mm -hmm. at the time when we merged the organization, you know, government was going through their own transition and resources became scarce. So it became a very natural progression for us to think about or for me to primarily think about the people that we serve and the people that we employ. What do they need? So that kind of merger was the right thing for us to do. But at that time, I knew that I was going to be in service uh, uh, in some other capacity, and um, that's how I ended up at One Hope United. They were looking Great. for a CEO. They were, yeah, they were approaching a 125th year of service, um, and I'm glad to be here now for three years. That's I was going to say. So you've been there for three years. I, let's 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 go backwards in time a little bit for people that mm -hmm. are not familiar with One Hope United. And let's talk about who you all are and and what you do. So I would like you to just kind of walk us through what your agency um, does and who you uh, serve. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, One Hope United is a multi-state not-for-profit that helps children, youth, and families build skills to live a life without limits. You know, our mission is to increase opportunities for children and families by providing quality solutions that enhance lives, enhance communities, but also enhance its futures. You know, we accomplished this by servicing over 10,000 children, youth, and families each year through education centers, um, child and family services, foster care adoption, behavioral health, counseling, as well as, as residential programs. And, and we do this in Florida, Illinois, Wisconsin, and Missouri. You know, it, it's been really interesting to, to be a part of this work because I believe at One Hope United, with our evidence-based and trauma-informed practices, we really empower children and families to see a brighter future where they can thrive regardless of their past 
in order to reach their full potential. That must be so rewarding. When you put your head down on the pillow at night and you kind of maybe review your day and think about those things that you're grateful for, to, to recognize that you serve four states and ten and and I like the way you said it when you said ten thousand children and youth because you, you you there's no age limit here it's not like mm-hmm. well you're eighteen so you aged out you know it it's 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 all of these um these this age and these family services and I would just like people to know as as we are talking that um, if you're listening to this right now and you're interested in going to the website, it's really just simply onehopeunited.org. When it started 125 years ago, Charles, was it was it in all four states, or did it just start just in one state and then grow to the the others? Very good question. We started out as an orphanage um, in a oh. suburb outside of yeah, outside of Chicago in Illinois. And over the years, One Hope United has been asked to take on additional service opportunities. And one of those service opportunities that came across the desk of previous CEOs was the opportunity for us to go into Florida as they were developing their system of care. And when you think about Illinois, you do have bordering states of Wisconsin and Missouri, which also became a natural progression for for One Hope United to be a part of. You know, and when I think about what my vision is for this organization and where we might go, you know, we might be in additional states in the near future because there is a need to serve. And and, and I firmly believe that if I'm going to be in service of other people, then we should try in every possible way to ensure that we are assisting people wherever they are. And right now that's only in four states, but as we continue to do this work, I do envision us being in a few other within the next three to five years. I think that's great because clearly the needs are not just there. They're everywhere. And I know somebody, as somebody that worked in nonprofit work now, the YMCA not doing the same type of thing that you're doing, but still um, providing resources for families. Um, um, It's important. And with with what what we're living in today, and the isolation and the confusion and mixed messages, what do we do? Do we do this? Do we go there? Maybe we don't go there. How do we, how do we know what to do? There's a lot of um, fear out there amongst most people, depending upon where they stand right now in this um, COVID experience that we're all in. So I just think it's terrific that that you are able to oversee such a tremendously important organization. Um, I'm I'm wondering where do you where do you get your ideas to um, to to come to to, to um, One Hope United? Do you do you formulate ideas? Do you work with your team? How do you do that? No, it's it's a really good question because I think a lot of times you know people assume that CEOs are the ones who are the, you know, only idea thinkers or the only innovators within an organization, but we're not. You know, we're, at least I am one of many people in One Hope United who are full of ideas. So for me, it all boils down to listening. You know, who am I listening to? Where am I getting my information from? Stakeholder engagement is essential to all ideas. You know, the people that either have to take it out into the world or who experienced it in the world, or who funded in the world, you have to stay connected to them and figure out what they're looking to have done and, and what they need to be done. So this engagement includes, you know, current service recipients, alumni who are transitioned out of care, you know, mm. our staff, which I, which I refer to them as HOPE members. Um, you know, we have funders, community members, board members, and really anybody who has vested in, you know, the OHU mission, because all great ideas don't just come from one person. They come from a number of people. And when, when you know, we, we were going to talk about the book, of course, but the idea behind Everybody Paddles is also that we all contribute to an organization's mission movement and mission-building work. When, when everybody picks up their paddle, 
we can communicate better, we can assess opportunities differently, we can problem solve together, we can course correct as needed, but we do all of that while building consensus. So it's all of us coming together um, in order to share what we think the world should be like. Oh, that's beautiful. I'm I'm looking at your um, page on One Hope United, and uh, it's 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 really quite amazing. Um, maybe you could just share with us, you know, every every organization, whether you're the YMCA or you're One Hope United, every organization has a mission statement and core values and vision. Maybe you could just um, talk, talk to us a little bit about that mission and your core values. You know, it, it, it's important because when I think about this question that you just asked, you know, there's always this tug of war about what is important, what do you need to do first. And I think the idea around that usually comes from that if you're doing one thing, you can't do another. And, you know, and I believe that the mission, the values, and the vision statement for One Hope United are all important and must be addressed on a daily basis by all of us. So I, I can't tell you that there's something that's more important than the, the next thing, but I believe it's all connected. People come first at One Hope United, which is expressed through our mission, vision, and values. And if, if I'm going to make sure that those who come to us as a provider of choice or an employer of choice, that they're going to understand that we, you know, value them individually, not just on how they work within One Hope United. So I'm constantly in a state of evaluating our organization priorities because the mission is a living, breathing statement. The values evolve over time. So when one of our values say you do the right thing, that is a, something that we live every day and we expect all of our staff to adhere to those values which were developed by the leadership team. Okay, that makes, that makes sense. And, and I, I like, um, I, I, first of all, I think your, your, your website is fabulous and you have a lot of breakdowns as to different types of programs that you offer, and I, I think that, and, and you have terrific children, and I, I, I think that this, this is very welcoming. I think that when you, when you go to your website, um, you, you can see what you've just said. It, it's in front of you, and, and why you do what you do, and why you are a leader, because it sounds to me like you, you can't have one without the other, which is what you said. You can't just have a mission if you don't have core values and a vision. That one, I believe, is what you said. If one is not more important than the other, they, they have to be united. Would you say that that would be a way of saying that? Yeah, they do. They, they have to be united. They have to be consensus. They have to feed off each other. They have to understand. You know, the One Hope United values are do the right thing, fully contribute, empower one another, turn hope into action, seek impact every day, and always keep improving. And, and those are the values that I live personally, but those are the values that I expect our hope members to express through their service and the work that we do. You can't just have a mission statement that doesn't have any kind of substance or stability right. or, grounding, or grounding to it and when I think about empower one another, it's not just the people we serve I want to empower. I want to also empower, you know, my workforce. I want to empower the sector. I want to empower the, in the industry. And it really comes from what our values are at One Hope United. I think it's great. And, and so it started, like we said, it started as an orphanage. When did it, when did it go from being strictly an orphanage to where you are today. What, what was that transition like? Because clearly that happened way before you joined this organization. One of the, 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 the fun things I love saying about One Hope United, and, and it's probably come up a lot more because of this pandemic, 
You know, One Hope United, an organization that's 127 years old, has seen some things in their journey and in their experiences. Mm-hmm. And One Hope United has gone through everything over the last 127 years that really has made it stronger. And I think that that strength comes from the fact that we are constantly in a state of wanting to support people. So we, we move from being an orphanage, and I don't think we ever were going to solely be an orphanage based on what I've read previously. Mm-hmm. But as we, be, we begin to realize that there were other kids who needed a place to live. There were other families who were dealing with things within their community that they just needed some support uh, around. And I think as we evaluated who we wanted to become, and even still evaluating who we are becoming, I think mm-hmm. that was what the previous CEOs and the previous board of directors really had at their core is that, you know, there are people in need. And I think all not-for-profits, especially those of 100 years old or longer, started yes. out of need, started out of need, grew out of need, and will continue to develop out of assessing the needs in our community. And are the needs the same um, regardless if you are in Florida or you're in Wisconsin, have you found that the service or services and the ed- ed- education centers are are vastly the same wherever you go in whichever state you're in? Yeah, I think they are definitely the same. They definitely every state has a Department of Children and Families. You know, every state has a juvenile justice. Every state has a public health department. So, so, so the service need. And the type of service is pretty much provided almost the same in every state. But unfortunately, and in some cases, fortunately, the bureaucracy around delivering the service is different based on governors or based on state directors or based on politicians or other lead agencies that are funding these types of things. But overall, the need is the need. You know, when a a child is, in an abusive situation, that is not a Florida need. That's a need for a child in any state. You know, when right. you think about, you know, you know, mental health counseling and behavioral health issues, those are not just for Wisconsin. They're the same thing that we're dealing with with, you know, children, youth, and families inside Missouri and Illinois. So, so the need winds up being, you know, pretty standard, unfortunately, but um, the delivery aspects of it are, are really dependent on the jurisdiction that we're in. And is it is this are these services free to these families? Yes, they're free. Like, you know, yes, there, there are moments in. So we do early learning and childcare centers, and there are some private pay opportunities in there based uh-huh. on income, except income, et cetera. But for the most part, overall, um, services are free for families. That's wonderful. And I noticed that on your website that I keep referring to, if you are so if you are so inclined, those of you that are listening, and really see the incredible value of what Charles and his staff are doing, there is a donate button. There is a way that people can contribute to your organization. And I would imagine, I'm just sort of, my mind is sort of swirling with all that you do. I would also imagine that there could be people listening thinking, I want to work there. I want to be part of that team. I would, I, I'm a therapist. I'm, I, I'm an early child um, educator. Um, I would love to just find a way where I could just read books to children or whatever. I mean, I presume that in some of these organiz- some of these areas that you guys cover that you probably have volunteer opportunities as well. Is that true? We, we, we definitely do. And just so, so the listeners can hear, you know, One Hope United, O-N-E-H-O-P-E-U-N-I-T-E-D.org is our website. And on that website, there is opportunities for you to join our Hope Member Workforce. And to also, as you, you mentioned, Marsha, to donate to the, the mission and the work that we're doing. And, you know, within that, that, you know, our board of directors is a volunteer board. 
and, you know, they are committed and dedicated to our work, and, and, and I love working with them because they also provide this other aspect of the things that I also want to do with any organization. We have an ambassador board groups in uh, Illinois and in Florida right now where their local boards literally doing stuff in certain, you know, counties within the state, which has also just been valuable, as well as we've had opportunities where, you know, uh, companies have come and read books to our kids um, yeah. and helped clean up, you know, our, one of our campuses. And, you know, outside the pandemic, all of those things became available. In the pandemic, it's been a little different, but there's mm-hmm. still opportunity for people to volunteer their expertise. And let me make a, a, a shameless plug. We're Please, looking it's for not shameless, my we're friend. Con- <laughs> 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 we, we, we're constantly looking for, for people to join us. You know, but let me just say this to all the listeners. You know, there are not-for-profits out there that do need and will value your expertise. And, you know, find a way, and, and in my opinion, to give back in a way that you feel comfortable with, but please don't think that the only way to contribute to a not-for-profit is monetary because right. that is a need. That is a need, and I, I want to be very clear, you know, philanthropic dollars, fundraising dollars help us do innovation in ways that if we didn't have it, we might not be able to do that. But there are intangible, you know, you know, value that people can bring. For instance, if you work in media, you know, not-for-profits are constantly looking at what social media looks like and constantly looking at what our presence is in the world. If you are working in finance and all the other sectors, those are things that we do want expertise on our board and on our committees who can really assist us as we think about the things that we do. Well, and I agree. And I, as somebody that belongs to the Rotary, which is a you know obviously an, or, an organization that tries that's whole purpose is to give back, boots on the ground is pretty important, and money is important. I there isn't an organization, not a nonprofit that doesn't want would, would not want um, financial support. But like you were just saying about media and people in finance, there are people that have um, careers and industries that might say, you know what, here I am in Florida, I'm kind of thinking about retiring, I'm kind of winding down, but I don't really know what I want to do next. And it's like, well, here's a perfect opportunity, a perfect opportunity to 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 work with children and to work with families. Maybe Maybe you want to really connect with that parent. That parent is struggling too. And, you know, or maybe whatever. I, I think that, like you said, that there's, there's, um, there's not a nonprofit that isn't looking for um, the expertise of those that want to share and give back. And there's never been a greater need, frankly, than right now. And I think that what you do, and I know you talk about a theory of change, um, and maybe, you'll, maybe you can kind of – um, inter, intersperse that into um, the fact that you have written. It's your third edition of Everybody Paddles. Is that right? Oh, no, it's the fourth edition. Fourth but, but edition. I'll, I'll definitely, yeah, I, I definitely, you, you bring up something really, really valuable Please. to me, and that's our, that's our theory of change. Please you know, talk about that. As a, a, a nonprofit you know, leader and, and a leader who would like to see us reimagine how we think about service to other people, you know, we developed this theory of change to address what we are seeing as inequities. And when we talk about how do ideas come about, we have been hearing from our team um, that there are a lot of things within the system that they think should be different, that require some attention. And they challenged me and my executive team to think about how we're going to begin to play a role in this visioning for a new child welfare system. So the One Hope United Theory of Change has been created as a roadmap for addressing inequities in child welfare and the services that we provide. Fundamental to our approach is not only the innovation that I've been talking about related to our own work, but developing evidence-based best practices 
that we can share across the whole sector. I think it's great if we have the knowledge and the experience and expertise, but if I'm not sharing it with my colleagues or with the system, then it's really only living in one place. Right. Um, our methodology, yeah, we focus on harvesting the synergy that is created through our own core capabilities and capacities. You know, we think about the community and we think about how policy needs to shift in order to meet the needs within the community. And a lot of that is really how we develop this theory of change. And let me just share what the outcome is, because it's one thing to have a, it's one thing to have a theory, but as we talk about mission, vision, value, goals, the outcome for this theory of change is really for us to reduce the number of children entering into care, increase unification for children who have been taken from their homes, reduce time in care, because if we can reduce time in care from 12 months to six months, then we're not dealing with kids who are experiencing the separation from their families, you know, longer than necessary. We want to increase kin care for those families whose parents aren't able to care for their children, their other relatives that we do know are loving and willing to support their family members. So we want to see that. And then, you know, overall, uh, how do we reduce the aging out of a foster youth entering into poverty? You know, you know, as you, you've done this before and it's born to talk, I absolutely love what you're doing here, Marsha. Thank but you. But when we think about, you, you're very welcome, but when we think about child welfare, there is this, you know, unwarranted, in my opinion, uh, approach to those who are in child welfare. It's always perceived that they're in poverty or they're criminals or they're in abusive relationships or they're in something that's been, you know, uh, categorized as, you know, debilitating. And, and that's not necessarily the case. You know, there are some families that do come to us in that way, but, but these are people who are just at a different point in their life who just need a, some assistance to move to the next part of their life. And I really want to, to, to work within our theory of change to, 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 to see how we describe people and how we describe care. Maybe because if we're not doing any of that, then all I'm doing is passing one clog in the wheel to another clog in the wheel, and I want to do something different. Oh, gosh. That's why you're the leader, my friend, which is a perfect segue here. Um, you have 30 years of of experience in organization. You, you you mentioned, you know, that this is the fourth edition of Everybody Paddles. I might just say that the the rest of that title is A Leader's Blueprint for Creating a Unified Team, which we've just been talking about. Um, let's talk about your um, this this consensus to achieve results. How do you build consensus in your role um, as the CEO of One Hope United? How do you do that? Um, but thank you. I, I'm really excited to, to have the, the release of the fourth, you know, edition of Everybody Paddles. Um, sure. The overwhelming support for the overwhelming for the support for the book and the concept and the principles just kind of really reminds me that we're all looking to build camaraderie and consensus in every part of our private and professional lives. You know, we, we, you know there, is, there should be the assumption that we all want to be in agreement with each other. You know, we all want to work better together, live better together. And I think that for me, I build consensus by constantly referencing the six principles to myself almost weekly. And, and those six principles are, you know, unity stabilizes the boat. No one wants to work in a chaotic environment. We really want, you know, structure and stability in our uh, businesses and our place of work. You know, the second principle is purpose provides propulsion. You know, when you know what your mission is and what your purpose in life is, it allows you to move forward. And that's something that I'm constantly thinking about on how do we move this mission forward. The third principle is, the captain sets the course, and the whole crew paddles. And, and yet I, I think people can misinterpret that as saying, you know, it's all authority. And it's really not. 
because I think at the end of the day, there is a leader, and there is a leader for a reason. And yet the course is set by the leader. The process in getting to the course does require the whole crew to paddle. And if they're not paddling, then it doesn't matter what the captain is doing. So it definitely is very, very connected. So the fourth principle is communicate clearly to stay on course, very self-explanatory. The only thing I always add here about communicate clearly is communicate often. You know, there's never too much information you can give anybody, uh, right. in my opinion. The next one is uh, problem solving and course correction. You know, it, it's, you know I, have, I have this rule that I've had actually for a really long time you know, I have no problem talking about an issue for five minutes. Let's talk uh-huh. about the problem for five minutes, but I'd rather talk about the solution for an hour or longer. And I wow. think that's where the course correction comes in. I can, I can identify problems all day. I think you can and we both can. But sure. what do we do once we know we have to decide that we're going to course correct and go in a different direction because this one is no longer servicing us? And then obviously the last principle, which is, you know, just I think probably the central theme of all the principles is every crew member matters. Mm-hmm. You, know, you know, I am open to constructive criticism. I'm open to pushback. I'm open to dialoguing. I'm open to, you know, just constant troubleshooting. But in that, everybody's voice must be heard. Everybody must be seen. Everybody must be affirmed. And as leaders, it is our job to do just that, ensure that people feel that they have a value at One Hope United or at any company that they're working at. Well said. And, I, by the way, for those of you that are listening, um, you can um, get everybody paddles um, at multiple ways through Barnes and Nobles through Amazon wherever you wherever you purchase your books and um and it's it's available that that fourth edition um it came out i believe in August this past year and you break down those principles and i think that you know for someone that's a leader i i, I feel like it's almost like a must read right it's like if you are uh, the uh, organizing an organization you can you can kind of cross check and say gee um are we are we really doing this are are we having a, are we living a life with purpose passion and potential those are the three p's you know it's funny i just thought of something it just came to me like I've referenced the Y a few times in this conversation with you, Charles. We had something at the in the Y um, that was called the three P's, and it was slightly different. It was purpose, process, payoff. Anyway, just just it just came to me. I actually, sort of. I, I actually like that, and I think the reason why I like it is more of, you know, there is a process, but also what is the payoff? You know, right. what is the result? What is the outcome? What is the metric? And I, I definitely like all of those words that are meant yes. to inspire us. Right. And I, I think for, for, for any team, and even when I was not the CEO, and even when I am the CEO and working with my board, you know, we must share what the outcome was. That's why with the theory mm-hmm. of change, I needed to share, share with the audience and with you what we hope to accomplish because I think that's the buy-in. If people can't understand what the payoff is, then how can you get by? Yeah, it's it's, it's true. It was it seemed pretty simple, and I'm I'm talking about you know 20 years ago when I was doing this, but it it just it's it stayed with me, and it wasn't until I was just looking at the um, sort of the introduction of your book on the website um, that I realized, wow, that that's what we did. So, do you think that there's one trait? that you believe is every leader should possess? If you had to just, I don't know if you could choose just one, but if there was one, what would you say every leader should possess? It's funny because there isn't just one. (laughs) I guess there's not. (laughs) I I, I, I can say the one that that I I constantly possibly live by. And at times it's a challenge, and I think that, you know, I'm human like everyone else. But I, I think that the one trait, the one trait, would have to be aspirational leadership. 
Bibi, because it's about followership for me. Leadership is about followership. Who believes? Who supports? Who's coming along? Who understands? And if you can't get people to do that and you can't inspire them, you know, and you can't encourage them and empower them, then that whole aspirational aspect is something I would encourage a leader to work on because, you know, we've all had leaders in our experiences where there wasn't any connection. It was just task. There wasn't anything for me to believe in. There wasn't anything for me to follow. And I think that if leaders could spend time doing that, and that doesn't always mean that you're in agreement all the time, but mm-hmm. people, people will follow anybody that they believe in and they know that they feel supported. Yeah, that's, that's, that's very true, and, and you see it across most organizations. What do you think is the biggest challenge today facing leaders? You know, I, I, can, I can say that this <laughs> is limited to the last two years of this pandemic, but I think it's a, a bigger conversation. And I think that the biggest challenge is workforce recruitment and retention. And we're seeing part of that now where people have rethought what work looks like for them. There are people who have changed jobs and they're looking for something different. But I think with recruitment and retention, if I had to pick those, out of those two, which one I would want people to spend more time on, it's the retention piece of it. Sure. Because, right, you, you know, people have to feel that they're contributing, one, that they're being heard too. But I think there's a part that's happening generationally right now where if people don't feel that they're adding value to your organization or business, they're likely to leave. And I think that that retention piece of what I think leaders are facing is the biggest thing right now. You know, what can I do to retain my staff? How can I let them know that they're valued. How can I build culture in a virtual world? You know, that I think is what we're dealing with. It's true. So many people are working from home. So many people have left their current positions. So many people have found have found the upside, I think, from working from home. They, they may be in a big city like Los Angeles and, and other cities where commute time takes forever um, and with the technology of Zoom and some of the other things that are out there, it's not the same as being there. there there's no mistaking about that. And, you know, productivity sometimes um, can be done from home. I think what, what, what gets lost in translation for me as a people person, which is why I was the member, membership director at the Y, is that what am I doing to retain, as you said, our members, and are we providing them with the services? Well, how are you going to know unless you ask? How are you going to to determine if those services are really what it is your membership wants? You know, in, in the example of the YMCA, why do you continue to come? And what could we offer you that you're not currently getting? And um, I suppose that that could could run across, you know, a lot of different uh, different businesses. But um, you know, I I just I admire you because you you don't seem to be um, stalled, and you seem to be able to move forward because you have a keen appreciation of retaining those that you have recruited. And I'm sure that that's very important in, in what you do. It, it, it has to be because I think at the end of the day, no one wants, no one would like a revolving door of people coming in and out. And when we're dealing with people in care, regardless of what system it is, if it's homelessness, if it's seniors, you know, you name it. But the, the one thing that is very traumatic in child welfare is the constant turnover of staff when kids are already going through things or when families are going through things, you know, and One Hope United has been fortunate enough to 
to have staff that have been with us for 40 years or, you know, staff that have been for 35. Um, and, and it's because we're an organization that they feel that they can be a part of long term. Right. It must be really something when children come out of foster care and um, and back home or get adopted, don't they? Yes. Yes, but but I think the, the, the great thing is, and then when you think about that from a, a, a separate side, the reason why I, I brought up the, the, the retention, in foster mm-hmm. care and adoption, you know, there's a retention aspect as well. We don't want you to leave this family, you know, for whatever reason. So, so we're constantly, or at least I'm constantly thinking about how do we retain all the good people, all the good stakeholders that are connected to the One Hope United mission and vision. Do you have you found that some of these adults and children, since it's been around a long time, end up being part of your volunteer workforce? You know, it, it's an interesting thing because volunteer workforce, you really think about um, risk associated with volunteers. What does that look like? The little kids we deal with, the vulnerable populations we deal with. So we're very keen on how we do our volunteer programs and our volunteer research. A lot of times we've used people in care to be advisors to us. We haven't put them in a position to be volunteer within One Hope United, but we really do work with them to find their volunteer opportunity that works best for them. I see. I mean, I could see how, you know, maybe, you know, you're that 15-year-old that's finished high school, has not living in foster care, um, has actually been able to go on and, and you know, finish high school and perhaps sees themselves as, no, who knows better than I what I've experienced. And so, you know, by, by using their um, knowledge based on their personal experiences, I would think that that would be um, sort of a feel-good story for that that particular young adult and um and based on what they've experienced because you do have you do have ways for people to get involved and and I think that you know people can can go to the page and they can see the different ways that people can get involved um but I I could just see where you know at some point volunteering even if the volunteering is um I don't know just doing a a cleanup or something like that, you know. I, I can see where you have, I'm looking at that page right now where you have an ambassador board and you might have special events. And so I think that this is, this is, this is really, really great. Um, so if, you're, if there were some resources out there that you would recommend to someone beyond what you offer, um, is, there some, is there somewhere that you could send these future leaders to maybe become a better leader and gain some additional insight? Do you have anything that you would recommend for that? Yeah, I think I'll start with saying that I think professional development is an ongoing thing. I think a lot of leaders miss this constant need for their own growth to continue to happen. Every degree I've gotten, every book I've read, every podcast I looked at, I've always learned something to help me become a better leader. So I would recommend to anybody who would like that to think about what does your mentorship look like? You know, what, does, what a podcast are you, you know, listening to? What books are you reading in addition to everybody's paddles, like Essentialism or The Leadership, which I do find to be re- really good books. But, but the other thing overall, and that's why I started with people don't realize that professional development is ongoing, there has to be a sense of self-evaluation. Um, and not self-evaluation that stagnates you or prevents you from moving forward, but self-evaluation of who you are as a leader today and who do you want to become moving forward. You know, we, I had my first supervision with my C-suite individually this week, and my first question to them was, whoever you were in 2021, how are you going to improve on that person for 2022? And I think that leaders should be in that constant state, 
either quarterly, semi-annually, or annually thinking about how they're going to increase or level up their own leadership. Wow, that's neat. Sometimes, you know, we get so wrapped up in the doing that we forget about the thinking. Um, and it's I funny can... you, you say that because people think about Google, they think about Facebook and the environment that they created. One thing I did learn because I've had some friends that worked at those places is that they've created a thinking moment. So all of the activities and the fun and the pool tables or the ping pong machine is for creative juices to be flowing. And I think we have to create those moments in our lives, even me as a CEO. When do I just sit still and experience life instead of constantly doing? Yes. What would you put first? What I would put first? Yes, you personally. I, I, I personally like being still and thinking and thinking and thinking. And, you know, it's just been able to really help me process what's happening around me, the things I can control and the things I can't control. Right. But I think sitting still for a moment a day always helps, you know, put things in perspective a bit. I so agree. You know, it's oftentimes I'll ask people, you know, that are as, I had a millennial say, I don't use the word busy, I use the word productive. And she told me this probably three years ago. I was going to say, when you have such a busy life, she said, no, 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 I have a productive life. I went, okay, that's interesting to hear. But when you have such a productive life as you do, I always do find it interesting to ask people, how do you find that balance? Where do you go for that balance? It sounds to me like... You probably, if I'm guessing correctly, you probably meditate, do you? I do. I do have my moments where it's literally just as I start my day or as I end my day, you know, how do I just center myself? Um, I I think the the important thing about balance and this work-life balance or the word balance is this. My balance is mine. My balance is not going to look like yours or feel like yours, and it's not going to be experienced like yours. So for, for some people, you know, they find balance away from work. I enjoy my balance at work and outside of work. It's not one or the other for me. So, so for me, I can work 16-hour days and still feel just as energetic and balanced, but not everybody can feel that. And I think that leaders need to understand or just continue to evaluate that my balance will be different than my spouse's. It will be different mm-hmm. than my colleagues. It will be different than my staff. So for me, I don't have any kids. It's just me and my husband and a, a little French bulldog. So for <laughs> us, you know, I can work 10 hours. I can work mm-hmm. longer, and I, I regularly do, and that's my balance and it's my comfort. But I can't be upset for my team who, can't, who doesn't have the same balance I have. You understand? I do. Because we're because we we are not all the same, and what what works for one may not work for another. Um, I I sit on sort of the anxiety level of life, and it's like okay, so you recognize that in yourself, and you don't have control over over everything, even though you choose to want that. So what are you going to do? Be, what are you going to do about that? Are you going to take a walk outside? Are you going to sit and do some four square breathing that we know about in yoga? Are you going to get those shoulders down and just control what you can control and and let go of what you can't? And I think that those things are all really important. But if you're out of control as a leader, you are not going to bring that kind of synergy that you're hoping to bring to your team because they're going to see it. And I, I would think that that would be not what she would want. And and, I, and as I think about the, the title of your organization, One Hope United, which in itself speaks volumes, right? Um, I think about what, what you're doing, you know, what you're, you know, and let's just throw in weather. I mean, we don't have any control over the blizzard that's hit the East Coast. Here, those of us on the West Coast, we don't have a clue what it's like to lose power and not have heat and and 
we just don't uh, uh, we just don't have that that's not to say that there's places in Seattle and Portland and places along the west coast that have that but i'm speaking about los angeles and specifically i don't even have a glass but i'm complaining if it's raining too much you know and and it's like please you have no idea what people are dealing with when it comes to really inclement weather um so when you kind of just sort of encapsulate everything that you do and using hope i think which is such a key word what gives you hope you know it's it's interesting i I love this question very much so you know the signature at my um my email for work ends with united in hope and i think like you know it it might sound cliche because we had an organization with hope in our name but i think the you know the united aspect of my colleagues and other advocates and my hope members and my board members, excuse me, <clears throat> that united aspect of how we want to move this mission beyond its current iteration, that gives me hope that I'm not mm-hmm. advocating for system change by myself, that there are people who believe what I believe and who align with what I align with and would like to see that in a world where people who are impoverished or disenfranchised, you know, are not seen as a burden on society, but just are seen as people in the journey of their life and how do we move them forward. And that united in hope has really kind of sat with me as I do this work with people that I know want to see change. Yes, and when you visit some of these sites um, and you physically are observing, that must be so hopeful as well. And that doesn't mean that everything goes without its own set of circumstances, but just the fact that you provide such remarkable services and to see the smiling face on a child and know that you and your board and your team and your 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 staff help to make that happen in a child's life or maybe not just maybe the parents life you know there's a there's a lot of players it, it, involved it, it, here isn't there it is and it's actually both i think the reason why you hear me constantly say children youth and families is because i can't service the child without the family i can't service the youth without the family so there isn't this disjointedness about it. And when I think about what my legacy in the world will be, yes. that's it. I love the smiles on people's faces. I love the emails from Hope members that we did something that they liked, you know, or that they appreciated. I think those are the things that keep me engaged, that keep my hope alive, that keep me deciding that this is the work I want to do until I can't do this work anymore. You got another book coming up? You think you'll write another book? <laughs> I, I have thought about it. Uh, I, I do yeah. have a fictional book that I, a fictional really? book that's written that I, uh, yeah, that I am thinking about releasing. But I, I think right now I am going to be turning a lot of my writing um, to research uh, uh-huh. in this space um, and continue to think about what I might do um, writing jointly or collaboratively with somebody else. Mm -hmm. on leadership, because I think the combination of both those things will be really valuable to the mission that we're doing here at One Hope. So let me ask you just one more quick question before I know you need to leave to go for another meeting. Are you a journal writer? I used to be. Uh And, you know, I I, I stopped because I felt myself, and it's just me, it might not be other people, I felt it was more on paper and less activity. So I wanted to put my energy into the activity of journaling, meaning that, you know, how I feel about things, what I want to see, I'd rather be doing them. And I felt that there was so much focus on me sitting down to write. So I do to-do lists. I do goal setting for myself. I have some goals for 22, not Mm -hmm. resolutions, because it's a constant improvement, so it's not something new or isolated. Um, But I think that's where I kind of sit there. 
That's that's I, I the reason I asked that before I let you go is that I know when you sit sit with stillness, if you do start writing, then you're not still anymore. And it's like, oh my God! So I'm sitting in stillness. Okay, Alexa, would you please put this? You know what I mean? You 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 want to kind of remember this was a brilliant idea. I hope I don't forget it ten minutes from now. You know, so um, you know it's just it's interesting how um, how we all sort of sit in that stillness. But I just want to thank you for spending this hour with me. I I want to let you get on to your to your next activity, and. I would love, this is just the beginning of the year. This is only January. Um, oftentimes I have guests that revisit with me, and perhaps we can chat again in six months from now, and you can let me know what's what's continuing. But for now, I just want to say thank you so much, Charles, for, for being so generous with your time and what you're doing that is impacting hundreds of of thousands of families. I mean, that just I mean makes me put my hand on my heart to know that that you have that that desire within you and that's why I do this every week is to highlight people that do precisely what you do. So thank you so very much for joining me today. You are very very welcome. I'm really glad to be here with the Born to Talk audience. Pick up the book Everybody Paddles wherever books are sold and follow us and learn more about One Hope United at onehopeunited.org and on all social media platforms. You got it. Have a lovely week, my friend. And the rest of you that are listening out there in listening land, you do the same. Bye for now, everybody.